Hello and welcome to Off the Record. This is our second episode of 2015. Jesse is one year older. <laughs> How was your birthday weekend, Jesse? Uh, very sober. Very sober. Very sober. Wow. You get you, everyone. This is just news that growing up is a lot less fun than we all imagined it would be. <laughs> yeah, totally. I went to Brooklyn twice this weekend, Jesse. Oh my God. That's and, so then I, and then I went to New Jersey. It's been a busy weekend for me, and now I feel old. But hi, and welcome. Uh, you can find more about the show at offtherecord.fm. There are show notes for each episode there where you can check out the links we're talking about today. There's a lot of that on this episode. And so we'll start things off um, with a sadder topic. Um, so Somos are a band that Jesse works with, um, has recorded a few things for. Bad Timing Records has put out a split with them in Sorority Noise. The band just signed to No Sleep Records and have a record potentially coming out this year. And the band also just got off of a very good and long tour with Modern Baseball Knuckle Puck. And they were set to go out on a tour next month with a band called Dads, but um, dropped off the tour due to depression. Jesse, is this something that, I mean, even putting aside your work with the band, just something you think happens a lot more than we hear about? Yeah, I, well, I think what was the funny thing that took me about this, and you and I were discussing before we were on the air, is that I think this has been happening for years, but bands are getting more comfortable with talking about their depression. I think you, when this used to happen, we'd say, quote-unquote, family emergency. I think bands are starting to be more honest about why they have to do these things. I think that's actually a good thing because kids should know it's okay to say out loud you're depressed and you need help and you're getting help as long as you're getting the help. And so obviously yeah, you think it used to be trauma. like a, you think it used to be like a like quote unquote like personal matters or family matters, and now it's everything is just more open. I think everything's more open. I think you can get caught out because of like Twitter for it not being the truth. Like you can't say your grandfather died if like your last name's something esoteric, and then people start looking for it or looking for your tweets to be like at grandpa's funeral, you know. Um, you can't do family emergency and then post, yeah, doing Jaeger bombs at, in the city your girlfriend lives in. Whereas, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and I'm also speaking from experience of knowing bands that had to do that, uh, that like, you know, you'd get away with those things, but you can't get away with the lie anymore. So I think it's actually one of the interesting, you know, you, you have so many people who are talking about how social media is degrading our society. But I think one of the most interesting things it's done is it's made us more honest. You can't get away with being shady as much. Yeah, and it's not necessarily about being a shady. It's maybe also like maybe it could be a time, you know, five or ten years ago where there was less understanding about that as well. And it's just... <laughs> We're in a much open, much more open place now. Like, even, and I know we've brought this up several times, but even, you know, harkening back to Buddy from Census Fail, a very long interview on 100 Words or Less, or, you know, they're just being more and more examples of something from 10 years ago that would have never been like kosher to discuss or open up about. And now, you know, it's, it's something that's widely accepted and, and um, there's support behind it rather than just uncertainty and confusion. Yeah, and I think all in all, the more we get that honesty, the better place we are uh, for now. I mean, I think there will be eventually a thing. I mean, like, I saw one comment that, like, what do you mean you're not getting in the van, you're depressed? There's People go on tour depressed every day, and it's like, uh, 
I think there's a difference in the level of depression that this can sometimes be is that the person's basically saying that I'm going to be a danger to one, maybe my band staying together or two, my own self doing that. And I think that that's an important thing to recognize is that that's a lot different than just like, I'm sad that I'm not seeing my dog or my girlfriend or boyfriend for three weeks. Right. There's a very serious difference and it's okay. Uh, You know, it like it's better to it's better to take that time and have, in this case, Somos release their record and go on other tours and hopefully become a successful band than to derail everything because, you know, one bully on Absolute Punk said so or something like that. I think that's an interesting thing, too, that they said that this was an investment in the band's future, taking this time off, really needed to do this to take a bigger step forward and get this taken care of. I, I think that's another thing is, is, you know, since I know the band so well, is their, their success was not expected. Like, you know, obviously every band gets out of the studio and hopes they're record does well but knowing those guys um they're so humbled i don't think they actually it's they seemed a little bit more shocked than than uh, a lot of other bands whereas there's some bands that are cocky enough that they're like yeah we're gonna get this like those guys are really humble dudes so not everything was you know in place and unexpected things happen and i think it's just that thing of sometimes you have to acknowledge like wow this this lifestyle change and it is a huge lifestyle change going from being home all the time to not uh, is a really big deal. Yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to really imagine being someone that hasn't done it, but it's clear, you know, it's, I was, I think we brought this up last week, or I brought this up last week when we were talking about like the hardest working bands of 2014 statistic was that, you know, modern baseball, for example, went from going to class, sitting next to me for three years to, you know, being on the road 180 days last year. Like truly a stark, a stark change. Yeah. And so it's like very, it's a hard reaction. Like even just from, you know, your whole body just is a major, it's a major shift in your life. Like you can't really expect someone to be fully used to that and prepared right away. I'm sure. And that's why I was, we were saying like, there's probably a lot more of that that should be considered that isn't just because there is the like get in the van mentality a little bit. I don't know that you can prepare yourself for this. There is like uh there's that like really good saying and it's not coming to me that uh so much of uh like success is about being prepared for when it comes. And like I you know, like I even talk about it like uh in the book of like one of those things is like bands are like, Oh well we don't have any fans yet, so why bother having a website? It's like, well, when success comes, it's often a very fast thing. And all of a sudden you go from 20 plays on your website to 20,000 or even like a more realistic number is 8,000 in a day. But if you don't have everything in line when that 8,000 comes, you miss a lot of opportunity of not having because you didn't have a place where people saw you have a Twitter or something like that and they can't stay in touch with you or you didn't have more than one song up or something so that people could get more addicted to your music or something along those lines. Um, Your music wasn't on Spotify and you just put it up there and you're a brand new band. So much of this is about thinking ahead and making sure you're ready for the opportunity you get. Yeah, and I I do think, you know, ultimately, hopefully everything is fine with any of these bands that have to go through something like this and you can come back and say, okay, well, now I am adjusted and now I'm ready and here's the next 10 years of my life rather than just throwing it all completely away. 
not good. Totally. With that, one of the things that I think that's interesting is how you keep your band going without wanting to kill each other. And you posted an article that uh, a lot of people were shocked about, but um, I've actually had a lot of experience with, which was this the way Fallout Boy split the royalties. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So um, as part of the New Properties Act, we're posting a lot more sort of commentary articles and Rolling Stone posted this awfully titled listicle about 13 things you didn't know about Fallout Boy. Um, but looking past the headline, there's actually a lot of interesting stuff because um, they took a, a pretty good interview and just chopped it up BuzzFeed style. Um, but the most interesting thing to me was that Fallout Boy share all their royalties and income equally. They're four members, so they split everything 25% each. Um, it's super well known that Pete Wentz write all, writes all the lyrics, and I believe Patrick Stump uh, writes the majority of the music for the band. And you know, knowing Pete Wentz's ego, and like you know him being very honest about his self obsession and selfishness, and et cetera, et cetera, like it came to me as a large surprise that they do split everything four ways. I, I could have seen Pete Wentz being a large percent holder, with Patrick Stump being the second, and then. Joe Troman and Andy Hurley splitting the bottom half, you know? Um, so to see that all the members split it four ways, I thought was great, especially considering that, you know, Fallout Boy are a multi, multi, multi platinum artist, you know, a band the size of a 300 club or 500 club room that we cover on Properties Act may split everything four ways because they haven't had the idea yet of, oh, I actually write everything and you don't. But some an artist like Fallout Boy who's been super successful for exactly 10 years now, you would think that would probably go the other way. Yeah, I think it's funny that people think this because every big band I knew when I grew up with did this. And I think there is like a selfishness in that, like, you know, then there's also like the hair metal days and like, or even the haircut MySpace band days where you start to see like... um There'd be these bands that have these, like, all-hired gun bands. I mean, even, you know, what's funny is it's like, you know, a band I respect, like, Say Anything, is kind of a hired gun band. Fully, actually. Like, yeah, to, yeah, to the now, point where yeah. it's almost a point of, not pride, but it's like, no, this is my thing now. And I was almost too ashamed to admit that beforehand, but now I can admit it, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it's funny that people don't think it's so... For ex perfect example is, like, you know, like, when I worked with The Cure... Robert Smith writes every Cure song. Like the Cure is Robert Smith. Him and Simon Gallup, the bassist, are the only lasting members. But whoever plays on that song in the studio gets an equal cut of the publishing. Nirvana very famously um, during their career, and this is not like a inside secret, was originally a 33-33-33 split. And then post-Courtney Love Marriage, there was a lot of co controversy because all of a sudden Kurt Cobain went to the band and said, ah, you know what? I'm the main songwriter. You guys can each split 33. I'm going to take 66. You guys can just hang out. Courtney's going to need these royalties after she kills me. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I don't really think Courtney killed Kurt, just for the record. It's a joke. Really? I do. I don't. I, you, you really do. It was straight face, you do. Straight face, I don't think she put a gun to his head. I do you think, think, you think she, she hired was. El Duce or somebody? No, I think, I think he would not have gone that route. In other scenarios, without her. Mm. Fair. So, so, how do you, so how do you feel about Tower Number Seven? Aliens. You've been watching a little too much Tom DeLonge stuff going on, Mister Conspiracy Theory. That's a mid-show follow-up. <laughs> my my dad would like me to tell you the last episode was great, but Jesse was very wrong about 
Obama, the economy, and gas prices. <laughs> of course, as, as mid as episode fallout, while I was sitting on the couch with Grace drinking a glass of wine. So, anyway, moving on. Um, do you think it's ultimately the right? You, like you have a lot more experience in this than I do. I think, or even just not hands-on experience, but maybe just sort of reading and over the you know past oh, few I have decades tons of, of hands-on experience too. Right. And asked me how and to I do it don't. as a producer. Um, right, and, and I don't. So I'm curious. I think that this is a crucial thing at any stage of a band because when you talk about clocking hours or even responsibilities, like, so let's take this two different ways. One, usually as a band, to somewhat extent, there's no way that you could ever sit there, especially the early days, be like, he's doing just as much work as me because odds are some band members are not. And that's something you need to accept. Like, you know, if there's one rule I can tell every band that doesn't have, let's call it like a good amount of successes in touring for nine months a year. Don't obsess over the fact that some of your members aren't doing as much work as the others. You'll get there eventually. That's just part of the game at that point. But secondly, who wants to be doing all that work if all the songwriting... Like, so let's say you get a $30,000 licensing deal, which, you know, does happen to bands that are really small at times, and the publishing goes all that person, and that person has money for a car because they got 24000 of that after lawyers and managers and everything, and you got zero, that member is pretty bitter after that when you're sitting in Malibu or Hawaii with your girl or guy, and, like, they're sitting and doing their job at McDonald's. That person may be the band businessman who even got you that deal because you didn't sign some publishing over. And so that's another thing is that the creative person who writes the songs sometimes isn't always the business person. And as we've discussed many times on this podcast, it really helps to have one person who's really good at the business and then somebody who's a little bit better at the songwriting in a band. Sometimes it's the same person, but most of the time that's not going to be the case. Splitting this up equally compensates people who are really good at it. I mean, another great case, too, is that while somebody may have written the main majority of the song, and keep in mind for publishing, under the law and the guidelines that, they, that are set is that the only person who gets the publishing is the person who contributed to the melody. A lot of the time, let's say the drummer or the bassist is really the person who polished up the song a lot, put it in its arrangement, really took off some of the edges that would have made it going from like a, just an average demo to something amazing and not compensating that person when really if they quit the band you're going to be out of luck because you're not going to have that person who really helps take it to the next level is a big big deal so do you think well just to check with you so do you think that it nine you know nine times out of ten or the majority out of ten times it, it is better for the equal split like for the for the health and well-being i've never done anything but advise doing this i don't, can't even think of a scenario where i wouldn't advise doing this unless you are that band where it's all hired guns but even if it's hired guns those bands it, it, the bands that are hired guns everybody's sitting there wanting to, to scalp the captain, to put it in Pirates of the Caribbean terms. Great films. Uh, oh, awful. Anyway. I, they, well, I don't know. I, I think like that's clearly the case, too, but I, I think it's probably interesting then how often that doesn't happen, right? Like, Well, I don't know, actually. I think actually, probably the, with all the bands I've deal, dealt with, it has only been split equally, but maybe that's because we're, we are in a underground music world, you know? Um, well, and you're dealing with much more bands that are a cohesive unit unit than like these like kind of kids whose mom is managing them like there was like that whole era 
kind of right before the defend scene, like where you'd have like these bands like play radio play or something. And it's one dude with a bunch of hired guns. They're kind of, all, you know, and I say this from because it's out there on the absolute punk forums from when they did it is like, you know, they post nasty things about the singer and his mom and stuff like that. And they're bitter about the royalties that this kid has money while they have no money and stuff like that. And like. Like, these things happen, and I think this is just, like, basically, like, one of those things, like, if you're not doing this, you're not cutting the people who are in on tour with you in on the merch to a certain extent. Like, and that's, and, you know, that's another entirely different thing is that, like, you know, like, a very common practice is that while you're in the band, you get a cut of the merch, but the second you're out of the band, you do not get a cut of the merch. This is part of keeping people happy is that, like, they don't want to be undercompensated when they're sitting there, just like we last talked about in that last segment, missing their significant other and slaving away on the road. They want to be compensated. Right, especially if you're seeing, like, you know, if the band is going successfully and you're saying, wow, we're doing several grand a night of merch, I'm only getting 5% of that when it comes down to profit splits. Like, that can't imagine that's fun and it you know it would probably make everyone hustle less like talking about some warp tour like I was talking with some bands about some warp tour stuff and what's become very popular over the past few years and I think is a very good thing that bands will start hustling at 9am when kids are online and selling CDs for 5 bucks you know mm-hmm. and e- you know, each member has their own job so okay the, the drummer's gonna hustle CDs and the singer isn't gonna do that because he'll get mauled by fans and that's okay because the singer instead will help uh, the merch guy bring all the merch to the tent and that means the uh, the rhythm guitarist will go pick up the water and the beer from catering and you know so on and so on like where everyone has their jobs and everyone's happy to be doing their own part because it's needed because everything is a team all in one environment. You know, but I, I, I can't I can only imagine how much more difficult that would be if you're not a hired gun, but you're not getting the equal the equal cut. And you're just sitting there being like, well, I could sell all these five dollar CDs while it's you know getting up to 100 degrees. But um, if I sell 100 of these CDs for five dollars, I'm only making five percent of five hundred dollars, you know, and that that seems silly. Uh, agreed. So. I think that the moral of the story is you should follow Follow Boy's advice, which is well, not a sentence never, I thought never I was going to say. say <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely not going to say that, say that about what I've heard of their last two records. Yeah, three I heard re- you actually were make that in a, three records. I heard you were in a pizza shop in Brooklyn and you heard some of the new Fall Out Boy record. Does that mean you were listening to illegally leaked music, Jesse? I mean, sometimes you walk into the pizza place and you go, I feel like I should know this band. And why are these guidos listening to this? And you're like... You shazam it and it doesn't come up because, like, I don't want to make conversation with these freaks of nature. But, you know, I ask and the guy looked. It was so funny because they looked around the room like, should we tell him? Should we tell him? What if he's a suit? And, uh, <laughs> what if you're a suit? <laughs> like, you <laughs> well, know. Well, they were right. Yeah, I mean, like, you know. Um, I, I mean, you know, I could call. I could. Uh, I, I could call in the. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, cyber police uh, through Jesse Slaughter's father and uh, make them come take them away. How, how's the pizza there? Are you gonna stop going? Oh my God, no! The, you know, truth be told, actually, I get the spaghetti and meatballs. Oh wow! You, yeah. Like that's a rare move. I think. I think that's a move that people don't do outside of New York. Well, I live in the Italian section of Brooklyn, so. So fancy. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, so we're so. going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, 
music streaming. Yeah, and so Spotify, just today, the day we're recording this, uh, published numbers that they now have 15 million paid subscribers and 60 million other subscribers. Um, <clears throat> what's impressive about that number is that back in May of 2014, the number of paid subscribers was only 10 million. So Spotify has gotten uh, 5 million more members that are probably paying 5 to $10 a month. Um, I forget what the bottom tier price is now. The bottom tier price is $5. Okay, so they got uh, an extra 5 million users for $5 a month or more in the past 6 to 8 months, uh, which is pretty good growth, I would say. Totally. Um, it is good growth, but we have to remember how small this is in... The real thing. So there's 320 million Americans. So what we're basically saying is that one out of 22-ish, I think my math is, Zach sadly made me wake up way earlier than I ever wake up to tape this podcast because he's a cop. Oh, Jesus. <sighs> and a suit. He's torturing me. But uh, yeah, I think my math's right that that's about one out of 20, one out of 23 people now have that, which is relatively small when I think that iTunes peak statistic was uh, every other person. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely clearly growing, though. I just did the math, and if I did that right, and unlike Jesse, I woke up early, but my math being wrong would be because I'm very bad at math. That would be $300 million total revenue from those extra 5 million users a year if they pay every month of the year. So that's definitely significant, though. Um, especially for money that is uh, for a company that's kind of bleeding money. So I, I don't know. Do you, so do you think it should be way more at this point, or do you think it's now going to get there? I think it's going to get there, and streaming music is definitely the future. Um, but I think there's an interesting thing, and this kind of plays into our next subject, which is like, so RDO, who's Spotify's competitor, is aiming to expand, and they're trying to expand into cars systems being built into there. And, like, you just kind of sit here like, man, there's so many holes in streaming music and so many things they aren't doing in the ways people listen to stuff that are so silly and so ridiculous. You're like, why do you keep doing these things and plugging these holes when there's other holes that are sinking the ship? When I read that on RDO, I was like... This is kind of sad because I don't think they would be differentiating themselves if they didn't need to. Mm. But at the same time, maybe it is smart to get ahead there as well. Like clearly Spotify did the did the team up with Uber, I think, which is I mean, I don't I don't know if that's something I would do, but I think that's very smart, at least publicly. Like that's the best kind of partnership that you can want. Right. And now RDO is going after like cars in a different way or TV systems in a different way as everything gets smarter and more connected. But I don't know that I can blame RDO for wanting to expand. I just wonder if they felt they needed to expand that way because they know our, you know, because they know Spotify's numbers are growing by the millions. I think it's a weird thing because what it is is that what everybody knows about a lot of this business is exclusive partnerships and doing things like this lock some users in that you can get and it's really good for your growth. But the other thing about it is, is when you're doing such an inadequate job of pleasing your average listener, like who, who subscribes to one of these services doesn't have a laundry list of complaints about some of the dumb things they do. Instead of plugging those holes and making it so, obviously you and I are different because everybody comes to us with their complaints about these services. Everybody has their gripes with these and it just seems like they're never addressing this laundry list. This like pains me to admit a little bit, but I feel like we should. It feels like RDO has really fallen behind in the last six months. To me, at least. Since we started the podcast, it doesn't seem like 
RDO has done anything that has benefited me wanting to use the service. Meanwhile, Spotify has gotten more attractive, right? Like uh-huh. Spotify has closed the gap on like the user design where people like myself praise RDO for. And so it's like mm-hmm. if you if Same. you're okay yeah. with if you're okay with a black user interface instead of a white user inter- interface, Spotify is just as attractive or more depending on how you are as a person, right? And then beyond that, Spotify has done more things with they've like lowered the pricing, they've added more services, they've just it it seems like Spotify is rapidly moving and like you were talking about filling up the holes where everyone is is being like that everyone's been avoiding. Well, one of my big holes for Spotify was that they needed to, you know, they needed to catch up on their look and feel versus RDO. And if I were to, like right now, if I had no streaming service and I needed to get a streaming service and I was planning on using it and not using just my iTunes match stuff, like I don't know that I'd pick RDO anymore. Hmm. Would you? Like if you had to start fresh, if you didn't have your collection in there. So here's a here's a, a, a interesting thing. So since we came back from our Christmas break, I subscribed to all three services. Um, because yeah, yeah, I, well, you know what? I had to make some tax deductions for the year. Ah, sure. And you know, I'm working on something. So you're the cop in the suit. Oh yeah, totes. I have all three right now. And now I mostly play with beats on my Apple TV. I mostly use RDO mobily and on my laptop, but I'm playing with all of them right now, doing a little research and I still think RDO is best. But what I think is an interesting thing about like, you know, there's like this saying in tech that you should never take away a feature. RDO took away some of my favorite features in their last redesign. I feel like they took a step backwards. Like, so for example, I used to just out of curiosity a lot of the time, because I'm not around an actual radio a lot, I would just hit play on the top 40 playlist on RDO. They, if that still exists, that you can do that, it's nearly impossible to find in the interface, whereas it used to be two clicks away. Um, searching other users' playlists, which is one of the best parts of Spotify, has become absolutely hellish in RDO. Um, so like now I use Spotify. So for example, Porter Robinson, one of my favorite acts, he keeps a thing of what he's listening to. I go to that Spotify playlist, but I used to be able to do that with a lot of other users who I enjoyed listening to on RDO and see what they were listening to. And it's just like, they really like, I think they tried to make it simpler for people and the average listener, but really, when you're doing these services, they need to be scalable for both the biggest music nerd onto just somebody who wants to hear, you know, Iggy Azalea. Right, and so like, I don't know, if I, again, if I was going to start fresh, and I and I, but I also had the knowledge, and not everyone has this knowledge; most people don't. But you had the knowledge that Spotify has 15 million users, and they're clearly growing, and they have all these partnerships with everyone, and. That's what everyone seems to be using. Like, no, you know, the ma- the mass public does not know what RDO is, but fo- Spotify is not really a foreign word anymore. Mm. I think I would, knowing that I'm also like a little bit of a tech nerd and want to see and ca- you know want to guesstimate if I'm going to be putting ten dollars or five dollars into an app every month, I think I would pick. I don't know why I would pick RDO versus I don't. There's way less reasons now why I wouldn't pick Spotify. And maybe that's just me. I just don't. I just don't know. And if we want to talk about Beats for a second, like you were just saying how Spotify is maybe one in every 23 people. And at one time, iTunes had one out of every two. Like I could see Apple, depending if they can get it together, like Apple has a really phenomenal chance of getting like 
in overnight essentially getting way more users onto Beats if they want to, let's just say with the iPhone 6S or the new iPad or the new Apple TV, whatever, even with Apple Watch, if you know Beats suddenly starts becoming pre-installed on everyone's phone and everyone has computer, right, and device, everyone, right, and everyone has you know, a true free subscription for six months or something like that, right? Then why not? Because it's going to get all the people or potentially a lot of people who haven't started giving money to Beats or already, or sorry, to Spotify or Audio to start giving money to Beats or start testing it out. And once you become really comfortable with the service, let's say six months for it free, if you do want it and you do want to be paying for a service like this, but you're already comfortable and already have all of your information and your playlists and so on and Beats, why not just keep it there? So I feel like Apple now with Beats even has a way better chance than RDO because RDO does not have that same, frankly, like monopoly over what gets put on your phone or not, you know? Yes. I mean, I, I think no, since the day Apple announced that, I, actually, I might even go further than this, then pretty much since the day Beats launched, I think no, and no one with a brain had any doubt that RDO would be the worst money to put your horse to put your money on, that it will not be the one that survives this race. If like ones to go down, that's definitely my bet on it's going down. But I will say, like to your question that I kind of avoided, uh, I would still go with RDO. Um, I still love the new release page. I still think their navigation and their search functions better. Like when I'm just hitting search, trying to find the thing I'm looking for, Spotify is still so bad at it. It's insane. I actually went through this trying to find a record I did with a Belgian band a few years ago, and I wanted to find a song where I did an effect the other day, and it was I did search on all three of them, and Ardio was the only one that came up on properly because the band had a weird thing where it has a period in its name. Have you been liking Beats, though? I've only used it on the Apple TV, and it's really annoying. I mean, let me say this, too. Scrolling through anything with the Apple TV remote and not using it's your terrible. iPhone is the most the worst experience on earth. It's, it's horrific. Especially when you're doing search for certain bands, and I'm like, you know, like last night I wanted to put on the Beach Slang record while I wrote, and it's just like how long it takes to type out Beach Slang before it comes up in a search is ridiculous that we're using this system. Right. Now, granted, I could be using the remote control and I could put my iPad out on the thing and do it, but even that sometimes fails to hook up into the Apple TV. I'm curious because I really like even now as I'm just sitting here talking about it, like I went uh, during winter break, I was like, I wonder how many services that I'm currently paying money for on a month by month basis that I don't use. Not even in regards to music, but just about, you know, for this one math class, I had to unfortunately subscribe to like um, Microsoft, whatever, 365 to get Excel instead of using instead of using um, numbers on my Mac or Google sheets or whatever. So I was like, oh, wow, I stopped taking this class a year ago. I should stop paying $12 a month, you know? And so I started going through all these reoccurring charges on PayPal and like debit cards or whatever. And now I'm just thinking like, I wonder if I should just stop paying to RDO because I feel, but that makes me feel bad. But then it's like, well, what if, you know, I could just see myself in a year from now using Beats if Apple if Apple does a good job versus anything else if I do want that service just because it'll be more convenient and more baked into the operating system you know naturally not not just foreignly so yes. I'm curious and I could see like there's still this large conversation that no one knows what Apple's really going to do with Beats and if they really want it for the hardware or they really want it for the software or for just Jimmy Iovine but what if I don't. This may be the case. I don't know. But what if for every Beats headphone that gets sold in 2015, if you suddenly get free six months of the service on your iPhone? Sure. 
Like there are um, all these ways to just for Apple to smartly trick everyone into using the service. My advice would be for you that you should have just bought a yearly subscription so you could deduct more on your taxes, like I just did. I'm 21 years old, man. I don't know you anything. Don't pay of, taxes? Of you don't course, pay t- I pay taxes. I my father would be so unproud of me I, if I, I didn't pay taxes. I was gonna say. I mean, I'm an American citizen, and I pay taxes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just still think RDO is a great experience, and RDO's ease of use does trump them. Um, I also think you know what annoys me about Spotify is I feel like it's the pushing up of all that's popular. Sure. Whereas RDO is very much like, like here's a perfect example: is like I see, I follow you, and I follow some other people on there with like somewhat similar taste. I get recommendations that are way better than while Spotify has that. I feel like it's still also like, hey, Jesse, don't you want to listen to Rita Ora or some like ridiculous celebrity I have no interest in? Like way more than RDO is like, hey, here's something I think that might be a little more your speed. Huh. Yeah. OK. I, well, I definitely agree with you. I think it just bums me out that a year ago I would have no problem telling someone why they should go against the grain and get RDO. And now I, I don't know that for everyone else that I can do that anymore. Yeah. OK. I, no. I, I'll, I'll take that. OK. So moving on. Yeah. Why don't you explain this? Yeah. So there's bad, a, this bad idea to everyone. <laughs> there's a new service called Vinyl without the vowels. So V-N-Y-L. Um, uh, hey, dude, why is a vowel? Don't discriminate. Sometimes, only sometimes. <laughs> uh, didn't you learn anything in grade school? I take that sometimes to mean that it's still a vowel. Okay, well, without the normal vowels. And you see, I'm an optimist, you're a pessimist. That's fully true. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a service called Vinyl. What they're trying to do is become... And this is not my term, but a term that was very easy for all the music and press blogs to regurgitate. Vinyl wants to be the Netflix of vinyl. And that did, they really say, did they really say that? Uh, it's that's nothing like all like over that. like TechCrunch and stuff. <sighs> so what that means is not, not the Netflix of today, but the Netflix that your parents were really stoked on five years ago where... Jesus, why is everybody a parent if they were stoked on that five years ago? I was stoked on it. I didn't have no kids. I don't know, Jesse. I don't know. <laughs> so, just like Netflix of five years ago, where you would go online and you would say, I want these three DVDs sent to me, and then they'd get sent to you, and within a matter of X days, you would have to send the DVD back. So, while vinyl is not exactly this, um, what they're trying to do, and they launched a Kickstarter and Indiegogo, I don't remember which one, to fund X amount of dollars to get the service off the ground, where they're going to... It's essentially a, a subscriber club where they're going to give a bunch of options and they're going to mail you, I believe, three records. And more details will be in the show notes at offtherecord.fm. And so you can get mailed a few records a month and you have to turn them back in and send them back after a set amount of time. The service is really just going like they just started. So there's going to be a lot more details soon. Um, but my friends at Modern Vinyl wrote an article simply called Why I Won't Be Signing Up for Vinyl that I linked to on the site, and I think it's mostly spot on. Whether you think this service overall, if it had all the kinks worked out, was perfect, like the truth is right now, the kinks are not worked out. And there's some really frustrating language that vinyl uses, like choose from our list of hashtag vibes so we can hand curate a stack of wax for you. 
play. Each month, a surprise batch of beautiful 12-inch LPs arrives to enliven, <laughs> enliven, enliven your turntable. Repeat. Keep the ones you love. Return the ones that were eh. We prep and send more. How do you feel about that language, Jesse? Does that make you want to give them 20 bucks a month? I, I mean, I will say this, that every bit of this, whoever this publicist, PR person, social media go- guru who wrote this, I, I hope something really bad happens to them for me having to listen to that language. All right, so let me let me go down the list of things. So if you go to the link in the show notes. Uh, by the way, it is a Kickstarter project, just for the record. So if you go to the link in the show notes and go to Property Zach, I just clearly pick, copy and pasted the like bullet points of what vinyl curates to its subscribers. So again, you get three albums per shipment. They arrive via USPS. Um, The first shipment contains how to set up your vinyl account. You listen to the records as long as you like. When you're done with the records, you return the vinyl in prepaid shipping sleeves. Or if you want to keep the records, they charge you around $12 each, and then they'll ship three more out to you once they receive your return shipment. So again, it's very much like the Netflix of yesterday. There's just so many bad questions. That As somebody who loved that Netflix... Me too. It actually, it, 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 truth be told, until this year, I'm just thinking about this, I still would subscribe to that once a month to get some rare DVDs that I wouldn't be able to get at other places. Like, I would just make a list, and then every once in a while, for one month, I'd sign up, and then I'd get all those DVDs, watch them, or handbrake them like the illegal downloader I am. And then I'd watch them. So I was still using that service. I'm just realizing I did not do that in 2014. I really enjoyed that. But one of the things with that service was DVDs constantly came scratched, messed up. I mean, I can remember trying to watch like one of my favorite Lars von Trier movies, Outbreak, for the first time, and the ending skipped and wouldn't play. And like... That's a bad ending. Yeah, and it's a great movie. Not once I got a better copy of it, but like... Also, that name of that movie is not Outbreak. I'm so tired. It's something like that, though. Anyway, vinyl is an even more flawed format. And sending records back and forth, this is a bad idea. As somebody who does vinyl transfers on a regular basis, like, there's so many times I have to bake vinyl to get it to play straight. When I have to toothbrush out skips in vinyl, like... All sorts of horrible, horrible, horrible things. And, like, give it a vinyl bath. And, like, the idea of this, these people have no idea how far down the road they're going to go of having to deal with bad, bad things that happen to this vinyl. All right, let me give my frustration. Mm-hmm. And there, there's, like, something frustrating with every point, <laughs> shockingly enough. All right, so you pick, and based off of your hashtag vibes, they send you, they send you a curated stack of wax, okay? So let's, let's go through how people mute, listen to music in 2015 or 14, whatever, like just how people have been listening to music. It's unfortunately, or not unfortunately, just depending on how you view music, right? Like Jesse, you, I assume, used to be a person that would buy a record because you saw it in the back of a mail-in catalog and then would just play it because it was on your favorite label or something like that, right? Yes, yes, yes. Right. People are not like that anymore, you know? (laughs) So there's a chance that they send you a record that you already own, a record of a band that you don't like that fit the vibes of another band you like, 
And then there's a chance that they send you a record that's 50 minutes long or however however long once uh, you know a 12, 112-inch record can hold. And it's of a band you have no idea about. And they're asking you now, you're, they're asking a music listener in 2015 to play 50 minutes of music they never listened to before, they have no idea about. They have to sit and pay attention to the record player so they don't mess up the record and so they can flip aside. That just doesn't sound how people listen to music now, right? Like the majority I of people. I totally agree. It's that same argument that somebody made when they made that video about like why you wouldn't want MTV to still be around, which is like if you really had to sit through a Justin Bieber video to see your brand new video, you'd be pretty pissed. Like we're just we're used to be able to get whatever we want right, as fast as we want. Because everything is now. We just talked about streaming for 15 minutes, and you know what? All three of those services do. They let you listen to anything you want when you want it to, as long as it's there. And also, I just complained about how it recommends me things that I have no interest in. Like, that's how hyper-specific we've gotten, is that, like, we're, like, annoyed when the recommendations aren't even good enough. At least my snobbiness is. Maybe a lot of people do this, but, like, let's say you hate track four on that record of a band you've never listened to before. Like, good luck finding the exact spot that you're going to drop the needle to go to track five on. Like, it's just... It sounds like a lot of work for people that don't want to be doing a lot of work. Judging by my Twitter feed where I follow our listeners on, there sure is a lot of tweets complaining about having to skip songs on vinyl, whereas that seemed like a basic part of my life growing up. Uh, yeah, it's not a basic part of my life. And so then, like, the, the biggest part of the problem is, let's just say they, you know, the vibe curators get you exactly right, and they start curating to you. You know, you know what? The start, could, I, have a que- I have a question. Yes. Could, could, could you walk up to somebody and say, I'm a vibe curator and do it with a straight face. They're going to have to because they just made like $15,000 on a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, they, they are funded, in fact. They are funded. So uh, they, they made $36,000. Wow, that's great for them and mm-hmm. their vibes. <laughs> My biggest issue beyond the general like wishy-washy of how I think their service doesn't match up with people listen to music today is that unlike, you know, unlike so you were just talking about Netflix and how DVDs would come back sh- scratched, right? The majority of DVD players were all capable of each other. They were all essentially the, the basic service of spinning a disc and playing that disc through your TV was all the same. The different DVD players came with different features beyond that. But the general service was all the same of a physical DVD player that you bought. Where the CD would get messed up was how you hand, or how the DVD would get messed up would be how you handled the DVD inside and outside of the majority of DVD players. Is that fair to say? Oh yeah, right. So uh, where this is very much not like Netflix and DVDs is where record players are all incredibly different, and the majority of people that own record players own, frankly, incredibly bad record players and good timing by the time this episode by the time you're listening to this episode we will have on the site a record playing guide of what you should buy in different price tiers brought to you by jesse himself and none of those tiers have record players that are hopefully going to dam or hopefully not going to damage your record player but i would bet- i mean technically every time a record's being played it's being damaged but right and every time you drive a car the it gets damaged too. That's the world that we're all dying every day right you know? right but it's not going you're not going like in this recommendation article we have we didn't recommend a crosley record player that is going to destroy your vinyl. So the thing, like the issue is, like people don't. The majority of people don't care well for their vinyl. Like I care for my vinyl, but I don't know if I'm, I'm definitely not the perfect person for caring for the vinyl and the longevity of it and blah blah blah. Meanwhile, like you just have to assume, like 
not even us, but the service vinyl has to assume that the majority of their subscribers will be playing this on a bad record player and that they will not know how to handle the vinyl and that they will ding up the artwork and that they will crease the sleeves and that there will be tears and so on and so on. And, you know, at this time, there's no clear instruction or guide to what vinyl will be doing with all that messed up vinyl. For, for instance, do they have someone that's going to um, listen to every single record and look at every single piece of artwork that gets mailed back to them before they send it to someone else? I doubt it because nope. that's not scalable, you know? Yeah. That's really not scalable. Beyond that, you know what? Most records cost more than $12. Like, for, so, for, for yeah. example, uh, vinyl, if you love a record, they're going to probably charge you around $12 each to keep it. That, that, that FKA Twigs record they're holding up in their main ad, that, that, that's a whole $30 at your local Urban right. Outfitters. And so even if you get it at the distro price, it's still not going to be $12. Sorry. So they're losing money there. Like that that's just lost money. And then like the you know the most the most oh my god moment of this when I read through it was that obviously the vinyl needs to be returned and they're giving everyone prepackaged um sleeves or material to send back through USPS. You know what the worst part of my job is as a record player, as a record label owner, Jesse? Take a guess. S- sending the records out. Mail it's order. The worst, yeah, it's the worst thing in the world. Not that I, when I say professional, I don't mean I am the utmost professional at what I do. But bad timing records, I would say it's fair that we are pro- we are a professional vinyl company. We have mm-hmm. sent out. I'll give you that. I'll concede we, that point. Yeah, well, thanks, Jesse. You know, <laughs> we've probably sent out well over 10,000 records at this point. In a year and a half or two years. The individual human being, not vinyl the service, but this the person that vinyl is sending music to and then wants it to send it back, they've probably never sent a vinyl record in the mail. They probably don't get it. I don't know that it's feasible price-wise for this service to send back three mailers for you. Or, you know, they're just without the proper step-by-step sh- showing of this and even like a video, I don't know how anyone's going to be operating with a USPS. Are they going to ask their people to stuff their mailer in a blue mailbox? Are they going to ask their subscribers to take it to the post office? Because it was really easy just to drop off three Netflix DVDs in the mailbox. Well, the other thing is too is it was so small. I could put it in my jacket pocket drop it off and like anytime I saw a mailbox and yeah sometimes it'd sit in my jacket pocket for two or three days probably damaging the DVDs a little bit but it would eventually get back to Netflix right so that's not happening with a 12 inch vinyl it's not and you know when it's 10 degrees out or 5 degrees out like it's been in New York for the last week who's gonna want to go to the post office in Manhattan or Brooklyn where Jesse has the worst post office in the country literally Yes, and draw and wait online to drop off media mail. You know what? No one listening to this knows what media mail is, and yeah. beyond that, no one buying these buying the service knows what media mail is. Like it's just, like the process is just like it, the more you dig in, the more there are errors, and it's very confusing to me. And but like they did a really good job with their marketing images and their vibe scenarios to the point where I don't know that the people who helped them fund 36 grand have a worry about this because I don't know that they have any knowledge about it and it's not their job too right like that's also part of the issue it's it's all on vinyl to make sure everything is flawless not on the uh, not on the subscriber yeah well i i think it's you know if we're we're going to be making bets this is not going to end well so 
we'll wait and see how it plays out. We will. So there's some listener questions, it looks like. Yeah, we have two questions. One for Jesse and one for myself. So Jesse, someone is a serious producer who is constantly waiting or wanting to become better at what they do, but it is rare to find anyone to give them genuine feedback. How do you recommend uh, finding people to listen to your work and give you advice on progress? And he notes that Facebook forums are the worst for this. So if you want real, like, constructive criticism that you're purposely looking for. First off, I'll say that the bands you work with in opening up a creative debate with them is one of the most important learning things or learning tools. I'd say, like, I tell bands, and I think it's even become funny as I've gotten to be this quote-unquote older, wiser, trusted voice, is I have to actually give a lot of these bands a speech. Like, don't trust me. Like, just as it's my time during the record production process to be an objective perspective to your songs and I'm kind of the first person ever hearing your songs and giving you feedback maybe not the first always but like one of the early ones with a really with a good ear that has learned how to break things down they then have to provide objectivity to me like I just listened to the song let's say for 10 hours straight while I mixed it and I may have lost perspective on that yes that bass drum should not be what drives the song so much I think that it's very important important that you open a dialogue with musicians and you also don't think that you're just a genius and whatever you think is the right way to do it because that's the worst quality in a producer um but to get more to the answer they want to hear that's not just let the musicians challenge you and open an environment where uh that happens one i think you need to make producer friends i have tons of friends where we pass around stuff back and forth and we give each other what we see and what I, you know, not that I get, take every bit of advice that somebody gives. Sometimes I'm like, that's the opposite of what I'm going for. I think there's one, you have to reach out to other people and make friends uh, that do this. Two, yeah, there's places like Reddit and things like that. But like, I think there is a thing of that. It's hard to get good advice because so one, it's opinions. And then two, I think a lot of the people who have time to give this advice are kind of bad at it. I mean, you can write your favorite producers and see if they'll do it. One of the best ways, though, that I will advocate for is developing a relationship with your mastering engineer. As a mastering engineer, there's a couple producers I work with who, for example, like every time I send something in, they're like, what are you hearing? So I might say something like the drum bus was really compressed this time. The treble was way too loud. Alan Douches, uh, who's a very famous mastering engineer who masters my stuff, has done this for me for years. As he gives me the advice, he tells me what it is. There's so uh, years ago he called me up screaming, "I didn't DS a vocal hard enough," and I remixed the whole record. You know, you learn from that relationship. I think that finding a mastering engineer who can give you constructive criticism and who wasn't a career long mastering engineer, like somebody who mixed records and then became master engineer, is really important. A lot of Mixing engineers are mastering engineers too. That's a great way. And developing a relationship so you're constantly working, they're giving you new advice on how to get where you want better. You also should tell them where you want to get, like what record you're trying to imitate, etc., etc., etc. Like I got a record from somebody the other week where I was like, this sounds great because I thought they were imitating of Mice and Men. And then they came back and they're like, I really like Ross Robinson's At the Drive-In stuff. I'm like, oh, dude, you are going the wrong way then. What are you doing? So, that's that. That's that. And my question for me is, uh, <clears throat> someone asked about how Properties Act chooses our, uh, artists for our showcase feature, what makes a band step uh, stand out in the selection process, and etc. Um, 
So actually, the question is very simple. Almost anyone can be on the showcase feature. Uh, any band that is not signed to a large label or something like that. Like, um, we have a very lovely uh, young woman named Ashley um, that handles showcase for us, and you can email her if you are a band looking to be showcased at ashley.nicole at propertiesact.com. Um, but, you know, and this is the thing where it's just opinionated, but a lot of the bands we put on the showcase feature I do not love. But it's not, you know, I view our job as not in, in that regard, not to only, you know, showcase young bands that are good because then we would never have uh, showcase bands, frankly. Like, we'd have very few. Mm. For me, I think the feature is more just highlighting bands that are looking to get highlighted but can't make it on Absolute Punk yet or are definitely not going to make it on Noisy yet or something like that. And so we're just trying to give any young band a little a little push um and that's that's it like we don't take this feature any more or less seriously than that um we do however like if you're super gross and have like attila style lyrics we're probably not going to be showcasing you in fact someone tweeted me a week or two ago and was like hey how do i get on the site and i was like well like your Twitter name has you know, like your Twitter handle has the word faggot in it, so I'm not like there's no. It was just a band member. It wasn't the band, but it was a guy in a band. I was like, so you're never going. I'm not going to put you on the site. Like I'm sorry, but like you may be a great guy, yeah. maybe, but I'm not putting you on the site for that. Doubtful. Right, doubtful. And he was very confused, and it was this interesting process for me because he was like, but it's not my band. It's just my own personal view. And I was like, hey, buddy, like, you know, you probably like pump your fist when I call out Attila for the same thing for the singer. And you know what? It is the same thing. Like you are representing your band and I just don't want to interact with anyone using that kind of language. So I would say that like the showcase feature is for everyone, but if you're clearly a red flag, just, we don't want to be promoting that anyway. So you're not going to get on the side. Okay. You're, you're not hitting one of their notes here though. Uh, so what makes a band stand out in the, the selection process? Like, you know, here's a great example is like I know bands what do you call it will like list me in my credits or even their mastering engineer in their credits, which is I think the most ridiculous thing to list, but we can talk about that some other time. You know, does that help? I mean, of course X members helps, but like that's not most bands. Does having a good picture help? Like what would make you or Ashley, we should probably be asking Ashley this question since she does this. What would make them make you actually be like, oh, I should give this more of a listen? Yeah, we should ask her. Maybe I'll ask her and we'll like get her input next week. But I think the simple answer is like, are your so how we do it is we give everyone like a form to fill out, then they fill it out, and then they also provide their music links and a band picture and etc. And obviously, not everyone needs to have a great picture. Not everyone has to have the most pristine band campaigns. But I think a lot of what interests me or disinterests me to like look at anything that we post for these showcase bands is. They wrote two answers. They wrote two words in their answers, or like they use a lot of ha ha's and like loose language and just didn't, they didn't put any effort in. And I'm not saying the showcase feature is the best feature in the world. Like, you know, it's not the end all be all of everything, but. Hey, but you know what? When bands I produce and you guys put them up, they always write me back and say that they got a lot more traffic than they're used to. When they get it, so it 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 does do something to build on that haystack you got to build to get a fan right. base. And so I, I think like the interest of me to listen to it or to provide more attention to it would be like, 
does it look like you're taking this seriously? And if you're not taking it seriously when you're a band that no one cares about, then are you going to take anything seriously when you are a band that people do care about and it matters a lot more? So there's no like finite answer, and I will ask Ashley, but I think it's just a matter of showing that you're easy to work with and like are and are excited and want us and want us to be helping you. To put put in the effort enough to answer the questions and not write ha 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 and uh, take this the question seriously. I do agree with that a lot. I think that helps a lot. I think we did good work here. Nice. So do you have any recommendations? I have exactly zero recommendations this week. Wow, you're taking my place I'm here. taking your place here. You can recommend that movie that Netflix messed up. You can recommend some bad dance music. I got two recommendations, and they're neither of those. Okay. I started Fargo yesterday because you made me go to bed early last night. Uh, it was almost worth it. Um, even though I'm really tired, Fargo's a great TV show, and I totally missed out on that for a while. Uh, and I've been reading Hatching Twitter. Oh, I the story read that. of how Twitter. Yeah, it's really good. It's a it's a riveting book. Um, even if I know it's been very accused of hyperbole, even if it's hyperbole, what a great story. Yeah, uh, I I have that actually downloaded for a long time now. I will recommend one thing. Um, I'm. A label called Soft Speak Records signed this band called Bliss, B-L-I-S, period. Um, They're releasing an EP on February 10th. Um, They streamed a song, and I checked it out, and I liked it a lot, and then I got the EP, and it's pretty good. Um, If you like music like All Get Out or kind of the dirtier side of, like, dirtier and, like, not grungier, but just it, it like, has a little edge on it. Um, So I don't know. Check that out, maybe. Um, And that's all I've got.